Welcome to Wish Upon a Star. This is Andel Banks, your host. Wish Upon a Star is a dynamic radio program spotlighting talent in the arts arena with discussions of challenges and some advice in making it individual, musical, literary, painting, and performing arts. As a unique part of the show, we will interview professional guests, experts, in the fields of entertainment law, copywriting laws, publishing, recording, promoters, communications, and other topics of great importance relative to these highly competitive industries. I am certain, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard the saying, and even might have said it yourself, ah, it's sweet music to my ears. Well, our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, certainly has something to satisfy most tastes in music. The standard and composition in classical, jazz, gospel, and even a little pop, all being played on the flute. She is Delandria Mills, an accomplished classical trained flautist in jazz, gospel. She's also a composer, educator, and author. Delandria attended the High School for Performing and Visual Arts in Houston, Texas. Miss Mills was awarded a Bachelor of Arts in Music from Prairie View A&M University and both a Master of Music in Flute Performance and a Graduate Performance Diploma from the Peabody Conservatory of Music. In 2003, Delandria was awarded the top prize in National Food Association Jazz Food Competition, which led to her being selected as one of six international young women to win this top prize. A European tour followed in 2005. Miss Mills is the founder and leader of the Delandria Mills Jazz Ensemble, and she is also a member of Soundcheck, the acclaimed band led by Ty Tribbett that played behind gospel acts. Now, I'm going to just stop right here and welcome Delandria Mills to Wish Upon a Star. Welcome, Delandria. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. We're going to get right into the questions. And like I said, all these just basic questions, so when you want to add anything, you go right ahead. Sure. Growing up, Delandra, at what age did you decide to choose the flute and take on that enormous challenge of learning this instrument? Uh, well, I was actually introduced to um, music by my father, and my first choice was piano. That was the instrument that uh, that I heard most often played around the house, and once I had the chance to sit at one, I was it completely. I felt completely overwhelmed. This was the age of four. I was very intimidated by the instrument, and um, over time, that desire evolved to the clarinet. But my teacher at the time didn't feel that was the right fit, and he actually introduced me to the flute, Walter Smith the second out of Houston, Texas. And it took me a couple of days to warm up to the idea, but. By the end of that weekend, I was in love with the flute. And I feel that I've felt that way ever since, and I was seven at that time. Wow, that's wonderful. Was there any other influence in making the decision of choosing the flute? Let's say, did you hear the flute being played somewhere else, or you just, based on these two influences, your passion became the flute? Yeah, it all it seems all at once. Um, when I first saw it, you know, as a child you you feel that you know what you want for yourself. Well, some kids. Me at yeah. the time, I had my mind so set on what I wanted to play. My mother played the oboe in high school, and I oh. thought that the clarinet looked just like it, but we didn't have an oboe at the school. And um, next thing I knew, he was putting this, this image of this silver instrument in front of me, and I was very disappointed. But I, I went home, and I obliged him. I spent some time with it, and I tell you, I was smitten with the instrument. Next thing I, I knew, I was 
assisting my teacher, and I was in third grade, I was assisting my teacher with helping the other students get their embouchures together so they could make a tone. I, I excelled at it right away. Oh, that's excellent because it became within you your passion. Throughout yes. history, Delandria, the flute has always had an air to me of magic, mystical tales, and fantasy. Have you ever been fascinated by the beautiful romantic tales of your precious sentiment? You know, I didn't really become acquainted with the mysticism behind it or the magic behind it. I can just say that with me, something about the instrument just resonated with me. It was, you know, later I heard pieces like the magic flute or uh, pieces that felt magical, or like um, the night soliloquy by Kent Keenan or um, right. W.C. Serenx. There are pieces out there that just felt magical and beautiful to me. It just felt like the 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 instrument speaks to me when I hear certain pieces play, but I never. I think that there's something very spiritual about the flute, mm. and uh, and that may be because it's one of the oldest instruments on the planet. It's been around a long time. The exactly. way that the wind resonates in the, the the chamber of the instrument or the or the the, the tubing of the instrument. Um, maybe there's something, you know, we're all one. Everything in the universe is the, the, these vibrations. Something about it is very, um, very much so uh, bigger than us. So I don't know if the word is magic, but it's definitely something that we all can resonate with. And for me, because I feel so connected with my instrument, it just it feels naturally, deeply, spiritually um, it feels like a healing, uh, healing device. And, and that may be opinion. It may be fact. But um, I do I do believe, and, you know, studies have shown that there's a lot of healing capabilities with music. And flute, for me, is definitely one of the most beautiful um, instruments on the planet. I agree, as well as I like my art. I mean, can't nobody tell me you don't get any more satisfaction than creating a piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of instruments that customized the jazz thing. We all know that. And it influenced the popularity of that jazz beat. Have you any references about the parts of flute might have played in the Renaissance of jazz? I'm sorry, I, I couldn't understand your, your question. Has the flute played, do you know whether the flute has played any part in the Renaissance of that jazz thing? Did the flute play a role in the Renaissance of Jazz, you're asking? Yeah. Since you do play jazz now. I do. Um, I'm not sure what the... And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not answering your question. I'm not sure... Historically, there's been the piano, you know, other wind instruments, but you never heard about the flute actually being played, you know, in the band. I'm thinking, have you ran across in your studies about any reference to the being part of a really a jazz renaissance of any kind? Well, well I can but say not. jazz or um, black American music or just music as a whole, there are no, there are no lines um, that define which instruments are and are not appropriate. I think jazz uh, it, in itself as a, as a, as an, a, a genre of expression, it yields itself to anyone who's willing to put in the time to establish the vocabulary to express themselves. You know, it's, it's open. If you can cut, if you spend some time with your instrument, you're truly in love with your instrument. You're willing to spend some time and build that right. vocabulary and you step into a jam session. The cats are more than happy to welcome you with open arms because you respect the art form enough to, to share and spend some time with your instrument, you know? Uh, shed as in, you know, you're willing to go into the woodshed, close the door, and just spend some, some hours and hours. It takes hours and hours. I think uh, there was one time I had, a, I had a classmate in graduate school tell me, uh, a guy playing clarinet, actually, a classical musician, uh, was working on my master's in classical at Peabody, and he, um, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to start playing jazz this summer. And I thought to myself, now, mind you, this guy had to be at least 22, 23. And um, I'm not really sure he was speaking directly to me because I know I didn't respond to him. But jazz is not something you can just start to, to play and then perform. It's, you either say that out of ignorance 
or um, just, just straight disrespect. You know, some people think that jazz is you just wiggle, you're wiggling your fingers and sound is coming out. It's not that at all. It's definitely, um, it's definitely studying those the artists and the individuals that paved the way in this in this music for decades on upon decades this is maybe the 1890s 1900s is going and listening to the vocabulary that's been established for uh for decades and really becoming one with that vocabulary so when the moment hits you have something to say and that takes time you know and i think you know to me to me jazz musicians i could yeah, I can't say all musicians, but I will say maybe just artists in general, those who are seeking to grow in their their line of creativity. There's a youthfulness about them because there's a seeking that never ends. You know, this is it's um it's something that you are growing and learning and eager to build upon probably until you die. You know, I don't there 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 are some staple lines or some signature lines that when you hear a person play, you're like, Oh, I know who that is that's Dizzy Gillespie or Oh yeah, that's easily Charlie Parker and you can hear that after four notes because they there are certain things that are definitive, but there are also some things that I'm sure that they were still um working on or shedding on uh, even till their dying day. You know, um and even if they have decided, oh, I'm not going to build on any more vocabulary, you're always, um, if you're not playing all the time, you're definitely um, touching your instrument at some point every day just to keep keep your dexterity up so that no atrophy sets in. And that's all because of the love of the music. That's the answer I was looking for. Now, that wasn't hard. Yeah. That was Not exactly the answer I was looking for, and I'm glad that we clarified that because our listening audience knows this is what this show does. If you're interested in something and you go like, mm-hmm, that's the part I was talking about, experts. You're an expert to tell them exactly what you need to do. You had to do that in order to make sure that you became very proficient in playing your instrument. That was excellent. I want to say thank you so much, but that was exactly what I was looking for. To let our audience, but this is what this show is all about. You can't just jump out there and say, like you said, the guy said, I'm going to play that. That's not, it. that's not how it works. We also right. mentioned in your bio, Delandria, you have played with many giants in music. What are some memorable instances that possibly made you want to just pinch yourself from the excitement? There were a couple. When I was playing with um, gospel artist Ty Trippett, we were playing at the mall, not the mall, but very close to it, not far in D.C. And literally, it was um, th- this was a Christian group that I was in, and it was a the the sound check. The band was maybe twelve to fourteen people, guys, and 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 myself in the band itself. And I just remember seeing as far as the eye could see people. Mm. And I stepped up to the mic. <laughs> we were sound checking. The the group was, was sound checking. We were getting ready to perform. And I walked up to the front of the stage, and a couple of people paused. They stopped talking because they thought, oh, she's about to say something. And no, I wasn't. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to stand there as though it was my show because I was just yes. in the band in the back. But I just wanted to feel that experience of, being at the head of the stage and um, because for me it was a manifestation. It felt like something that I had, um, a moment that I had created for myself, and that was a sneak preview. Like it hasn't happened yet, but I felt it. And it's not so much that that's been my goal in life to play with something like that, but it just felt so... It was a beautiful moment. It just I don't know. And I, I did I did have um a daydream like that when I was little that I was on the stage and there were just people as far as the eye could see. And anyway, that was a beautiful moment because I felt like I finally manifested a moment from my elementary childhood days. And that was uh maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. That was one. And that was pretty major. It just felt good. And then another um Billy Harper, who is a a legendary jazz tenor player out of Texas, and someone I've idolized for years. Um, 
I recorded one of his tunes in 2010 by the name of Priestess. Billy Harper is a major staple in jazz, and his tone is monstrous. And I know that there are a lot of tenor players who are worth their grain of, grain of salt. I know that they have spent some time listening to this tone and and um he he is just he's phenomenal so anyway i ended up going to a party in new york it was a party hosted by um kennedy uh, kennedy center's jason moran who went to my high school back in houston and it was a party for houstonians who had moved to new york so i i went from baltimore to new york just to be at this party even though i wasn't living Mm. in new york and um I had copies of my newly released CD in my pocket with Priestess on it. And as soon as I walk in the door, it seems like the very first person I saw was Billy Harper, who is from Houston. And I, I couldn't, my eyes were fixed. I couldn't look at anyone else. I spoke to other classmates who were happy to see me and I them and maybe 10 minutes of being there. I told him, I, it's an honor to see you, Mr. Harper. I'm not sure you remember me. I was at one of your master classes and, just recently, I recorded one of your tunes, and I gave him a copy of my CD. And the next day, or that evening, I took the bus back to Baltimore because I had to teach at Peabody the next morning. And it was a two-part party, and I drove. I, I didn't drive. I took the bus back to New York for the second half of that party. Was, this was a lot of traveling <laughs> in two days. Uh-huh. I went back to the party, and Billy found me. He sought me out. He said, hey, I really like your project, and you have a nice voice, and I like what you did with my tip. I mean, the, the compliments were just, it was just filling me up. with. I was so honored in that moment, you know, and I, um, and next thing I knew, he was asking me to be a part of um, a project that he was working on, and I was just overjoyed, and that was another moment in my life um, that I was just overly thankful it was beyond giddy it was just unreal you know it's, the, exactly. it's those moments where you feel like god is winking on you or at yes. yourself it was one of those moments it felt like if i were standing outside the, the sun would be shining on me and you know it was just awesome and then um third and finally because i can go on and on um boy hargrove who is a, a young jazz relatively young jazz trumpet player who anyone who knows anything about jazz they've heard of Roy Hargrove um for many years I would I was just wherever the jazz cats were I fell in love with jazz when I was 13 I was in the classical department but I I went to my first jazz concert uh given by the uh, jazz department under direction of Dr. Robert Morgan of HSPVA the high school for the performing and visual arts and they were, I'll never forget, they were playing um, a tune by Duke Ellington. And right there, I fell in love with jazz. And one of the kids that was playing a solo named John Schutze, uh after he took a solo, the crowd went wild and he was smiling real big, you know. So after the concert, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, you know, I want to play like that, you know, or what should I do? He was like, two, two names. John Coltrane, Charlie ah. Parker, get their records and listen to them all the time. And I did exactly that. I bought their records, and from then on, it's just been it's just been a love affair. So anyway, um, I would go to these conferences that IAJE, which is no longer um, no longer happening. The International Association of Jazz Educators they used to have a conference every year in another a different city, and every time I went which was as often as I could go every year um, since high school, Roy Hargrove would forget that he met me, and he would always kind of, like, ask me out. It was so it was funny. And yeah. After, uh, yeah, and, you know, after five years, I didn't go to the conference much anymore because uh, my, my focus was a little bit different. I switched to engineering and things. And maybe three years later after that, I saw him again, and he was like, wait a minute, you're that girl from Texas that's always turning me down, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, it just came, it was kind of cute, you know, and we just became yeah. kind of good friends. And um, if he, once I moved to Baltimore and he got word of that, he would just call me if he was in the area and ask me if I wanted to come to the show. And that happened for many years. But then the maybe the third time we were at Blues, he was at Blues Alley. And I, I told him hi, and he asked me to come on stage, and that was it. It was just another one of those things where 
Yeah. Um, I was so, be, more than people realize, and then, you know, I could see where some would say, okay, well, you're putting people on too high of a pedestal, you know, and then it's, it's, it's not even that. It's not about people, or it's, it's not about things, you know. It's just those things. It, we're, we're here to be happy, you know. One of my um, CD titles is Be Happy, and those are moments that make me happy. It's just, you know, that some people are happy about the new car or the house or the, the spouse or whatever, whatever. But I love music, and I'm, I love what I do. You know, I, I'm an educator as well, but when I can put my fingers around my instrument and when I have the opportunity to do that before an audience and I feel that I've, you know, really put some time in to give them a show in which I really have something to convey, um, it's it's the most beautiful feeling. And if I can do that with other people that I consider masters, it's truly an honor, you know? So, yeah, I would say that those are among my top three. Yeah, you don't have to feel like you are over, you know, putting more more into it than it should be because you that's the way you should feel. And anybody who has a passion, like I have artists and you have singers, when they find those situations where I call it makes your make you want to pinch yourself. You're supposed yeah. to be thankful for that. Now, yeah, at this sure. time, Delandria, do you want to take a break or do you want to continue? Uh, sure, because we I can take a break. Okay, we're going to take a break. So like I said, we're going to, and it won't be any more than 15 seconds. So we'll be right back with Delandria Mill. Let's get loose. This trick. Yeah. What up, y'all? Just came to your city to say what's up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me love. Hi. Uh. Hop off the plane to a new show. What up? And all the shorties, they be waiting on me. Thugs packing they pistols. But ain't nobody aiming on me. Got a pocket full of fresh dough. So you know I gotta bake it, homie. Bake it for me. And I'm thankful. Welcome back to Wish Upon a Star. This is Andel Banks, your host. And we're broadcasting on www.bbsradio.com, Station 2. You can listen to all of our previous broadcasts in the archive link. We also welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Again, comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. We welcome back to the questioning, ladies and gentlemen, Delandria Mills, classically trained flautist, who is also an author, educator, and composer. To continue, Delandria, many musicians in the past became known without the knowledge of knowing how to read music. In today's music arena, what is your opinion? Should musicians know how to read music first? Well, if it's a musician and that's a person who has chosen to take that path to make a living, it would serve them best to be able to do both. However, there are many out there, just as there, there are very successful business people out there who didn't go to school to receive an MBA or um, take any business courses. Some things do come naturally, and those people, they really luck out. And I believe in that. I believe that if you're really focused and you go, you just go for it, um, sometimes without a plan B, <laughs> just go for it. it just, it's a miracle, but the doors just open for those people. Um, if someone were asking me for my advice, my sound advice, I would say that taking the time to educate yourself or to, you know, to take classes or take private lessons, um, it would it would be best to be able to, to read music as well as play by ear. Um, but it also depends on what that person is trying to do. If you're a classical musician, you need to rely upon your ear for tonation to make sure that you're playing in tune and you know how to listen across the ensemble or the orchestra. You want to, if you're in the section, you still need to be able to tune in to what the brass is doing and what the percussion is doing and so forth. But um, I, I can't imagine not being able to listen to a lick or um, a, a line of someone 
if I if I hear a record for like Freddie Hubbard and he plays a lick and I think, wow, that was really slick, in my mind immediately, because I've spent so much time and money <laughs> educating myself, I can recall it, one, because I'm really good with rhythm, so I'll hear a rhythm and I'll remember the rhythm, especially if it's, you know, less than four bars long, four measures long. And then if I can hear some lines that I've practiced, maybe it has a bebop, a small bebop phrase in it, and it's ascending, right there I already have a fourth of the line. And these are things that are very helpful when I'm trying to learn my uh, music or when I'm trying to learn other the, the music of other people, when I'm trying to play a classical gig that I've maybe been um, called to do. It makes it a lot easier when you're... Um, very well versed in music and every in every facet of music. Right. I think you've already answered the next question is what are some most important elements in, especially in playing a suit that could greatly affect the performance or even a career if you don't adhere to that those elements? Um spending some time with the instrument every day and um practice, it's, practice, it's, it's, practice. Well Yes, yes, for sure. But it's also what you practice. You know, I had okay. I had a couple of students who have um, people. A lot of people compare themselves, or people have asked me, "Oh, wow, no wonder you're so good. You've been playing since you were seven. That's kind of irrelevant. It's all about the teachers. It's all right. about the student as well, um, for sure. It's definitely, it depends on the teacher as well as the student. Uh, what was being taught in that time, you know. Um, because you can be taught one thing, and there are, there's still a lot of holes in what you've learned. Um, but I was you asked about what's the most important thing. Um, definitely practicing. Definitely tone. There was there was something else I was going to ask you though. Um, I, I was going to say to that. Please ask the question again. Okay, I said. Uh... You're a master in a classical uh, uh, flout is, you're, you're just great. And the important elements of playing possibly a flute that could greatly affect a performance and even a career if you don't know these things. Yeah, definitely spending some time with the tone. I, um, I've had a tone. lot of people... Tone, okay. for sure. Okay, right. um, I'm not a stickler about playing sounding like the next person. Um, mm -hmm. In the classical, in the world of classical, for sure, there is a, a certain sound that every that a lot of people that a school of thought is um, they're, that they're striving for, for sure. There's a sound that they feel is appropriate and not. I actually had someone very prominent in the world of flute, very well known, um, speak badly of someone else who plays flute who's mm. very well known because of their tone. And that's unfortunate. Mm. I, under I understand where they're coming from, but mind you, the person who had the negative word to say was a classical flutist, and that person was speaking of a jazz flutist. But in the world of, in, in the world of jazz, I, I use that term loosely, um, in the world of jazz, is you want to have your own sound. You don't really want to sound like the next person, you know. So, but anyway, to, to answer your question, tone is a big factor. That's something that oh. you want to spend time with, and that's something um, that you really, especially in the early your earlier years or um, of of getting acquainted with your instrument, is that you really spend some time with your tone and. Um, all everything else is very important. Technical facility, articulation, th these are very important. But from the moment you step to the mic, if your tone is not happening, your audience is not really into it. You know, you have mm. to have a, a big tone, and you definitely want to spend some time with the instrument. You know, it was uh, there. We go there. That's what I want to say. Jerry Seinfeld, who was a comedian. I've never really watched the show regularly at all. I was, you know, not really into the show. But he said something in an interview that really impressed me. He said that if you want to be good at anything, you need to you need to touch upon it every day, even if it's five minutes, even if you mm. don't have an audience and you have to get in front of the mirror. And he may have been quoting someone else. I'm not sure, but 
that is that's that's it every day mm. and it's been a challenge i'm a new mother which is a beautiful thing i'm totally in love with my with my son and Congratulations. Um, thank you very much however it's been a challenge finding that yeah. time with my instrument and i do my absolute best and i'm exhausted so i i don't go out as much as i used to and i was i was watching the grammys Actually, I was watching the recap, some recaps of the Grammys from this weekend. And Adele, in her um, her speech, she mentioned the fact that, you know, she's a new mom. And it's really hard. You know, it, it took a whole mm-hmm. team, everyone on the stage, to kind of help her gather herself so that she could get back at it. And I thought, hallelujah, girl, tell them, you know. Mm-hmm. And there have been times where I really... I, it's 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 a challenge, but I'm, he is more than a blessing that I would never ever, you know. I, I I'm so very thankful. It's a challenge though. Being being a musician, you definitely want to get that time in when you have it. When you're in school, um, when you're in school, I won't even say when you're young. When you have the time, I don't care if you're 50. If you've decided that this is something that you want to do if you have free time and you're squandering it on netflix or you know just foolishness then use that time you know change your focus and put it towards your instrument if even if i had a professor at prayer view dr vicky felden she said to me um to just try to give it a half hour every day and that's some advice that I've carried with me for years every day if I could just get half an hour when I was at Peabody in grad school I was practicing anywhere from four to 16 hours a day I actually went a complete 24 hour here I went actually to a complete 24 hour period once I went home for the holidays and um I was practicing in my bedroom early in the morning my sister my whole family went to, to work and I had just flown in from Baltimore, um, and I woke up and I practiced. And then when she came home from school, she just stayed out of the uh, out from work. She just stayed out of the room so I could keep practicing. So that was probably eight to twelve hours. And then when she was ready to go to bed, and she told me, I moved to the kitchen. And um, late at night, my father came in the kitchen and he told me if he if I didn't go to bed, he was going to give me a spanking, and he meant it. And I was maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Twenty three, <laughs> and um, and he meant it. He was like, "You need to get yourself some sleep, Deadly. Straight up, you need to get yourself some sleep." So I took the keys to my mom's car, and I went to the University of Houston because I had a key, and I went in the practice room, and I stayed in the practice room till I knew she needed her car back from work, and that was probably almost a twenty four hour period. I was so in it and I felt that yeah. now that I had made up my mind that this is what I was going to do I can't I can't yeah. remember eating in that time I'm sure I did you know but um <laughs> I was so focused on making the most of the time that I missed and you know sometimes we get caught up in that and I don't think it's about that I really do believe that once that you know time is an illusion and once you have your focus time is totally irrelevant oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. but at the time I didn't feel that way and I felt like I was in a mad dash to get it together I fell in love with jazz when I was 13 and the band director the jazz band director Dr. Morgan then allowed me to just play on charts that call for flutes which actually happened to be some Billy Harper tunes as well as some tunes by Jose Diaz, who was also an educator in the Houston area. Um, and that was great, but that's I wanted more than that. And, and the band director even featured me on the tune by uh, the Woody Herman big band called uh, What Are You Doing the Rest? Of, what Are You Doing for the Rest of Your Life? That was a oh, beautiful yeah. moment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, uh, You're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. the uh, thought that what it takes, what, what what it takes if you want to be at the top or you're dedicated to your goal. I mean, I yeah. think all of us, I could identify with that. When I wanted to have an exhibit with one of my art shows, I stayed up all night, you know, yeah. three or four yeah. o'clock in the morning. And it didn't bother me at all, you know, because my yeah, concentration I, you know was there. I'm not even sure that that's what it takes, but when you love it, you yeah. know. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, when you love it, you just you just want to do it. There was just so much I wanted to do, and I and I had I was studying 
I was studying my master's with um, Emily Scala, who is a phenomenal musician. She's a principal flutist of the Baltimore Symphony. Amazing person, an amazing musician. And uh, uh, shortly thereafter, um, for a while, I was studying with Marina Piccinini, who is a monstrous flute player who demands a lot from her students. I mean, they mm. all of the instructors do, but pair, pairing those two instructors with the jazz department and what the requirements were, Gary Thomas at Peabody, there were a lot of things that uh, that was being suggested to me. You know, I had tried to play jazz for a long time by ear, and he was like, hey, you got to start digging into those chord changes. And that was it. It took. I have a couple of students now who are studying impro- improvisation with me, and it's it's really cute for a while to just play the blues scale and just play by ear. But after a while, you really have to dig in and start learning all of those modes and those scales and the bebop scale and you know just those signature lines that say, "Hey, I'm a part of this of this of this heritage." You know, I've decided to take this thing seriously. And um and that's paying homage to the music by by studying it. Right. Just to interject on that point you just finished making so eloquently, I remember when I was learning, um, the violin was what was one of my first favorites. And then of course became the piano. And I remember looking at the Liberace on his show and when he said one lady came up to him and asked and told him, Oh my, if I could play like that I would give my life. And his answer was, I did miss. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, although, although small, the flute appears to be a complicated instrument to master. Can you give us just a brief talk on the construction of the flute and how it is played? And definitely include, how is the breathing method accomplished? <laughs> um. Well, it's... Of the woodwind instruments, I would have to say that's probably the least complicated um, when it comes to the, the the mechanism and the buttons and such. The clarinet has a lot more keys and the saxophone. And I just, um, all of them have one thing in common. you got to spend some time with them. I, mm-hmm. I would say that um, of the other wind instruments, you know, with the oboe, there's a lot of resistance because you have a lot of back pressure. Uh, when you blow into the instrument, uh, but the flute, you know, if you certain certain instruments, in my opinion, are more suited for others than than others. But mm-hmm. you you blow you don't blow into the instrument uh, primarily. You're blow, blowing across the the lip plate uh, okay. to, to produce the sound. It does take a lot of air. Um, I tell my students all the time. I do my best to stay in shape because it, that's another part of being true to the music, to the art form. For me, for me, I feel better when I'm not winded when I play. <laughs> I want to, be, you know. I saw um, Kenny Garrett performing. Another phenomenal monster, legendary musician um, who's been out and about for many, many years. He was performing. He was sweating profusely. And on the side of the stage, you know, he had a big bottle of water and a banana. And I thought that was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen. Now, this is, I was new to the area at the time. This was in D.C. I drove from Baltimore to D.C. to see him perform. But, um, you know, the people who are really serious about what they do, they eat well, they eat right, they listen to their bodies, and they respond, period. You know, if I know that I'm trying to prepare myself for something, I'll do a little more cardio, and I'll I'll drink a lot more water. I'll bring water on the stage. You know, you've got to stay hydrated. It's the it's the little things, but it's not the flute is not as um, complicated as I think many may be. It may think it's just a matter of um, knowing where the fingers lie, left hand above the right hand, and you know, um, yeah, it's, it's it's laid out quite quite plainly to me to me. Yeah. But I have I've been acquainted with it for quite a while, so that's probably easy for me to say. Lots <laughs> of times when people play in bands, I think, or even in a choir, because I remember I used to be in the church choir, it seemed like once you got people all around you, you can have a little comfort, you know, in case you make a mistake, you know you got backup. Improvisation in a jazz group or a setting or a solo violin is in classical. It's something that our listeners may identify, but some people may not have heard of soloist flutists. 
What have been some of your experiences as a solo flutist? Um, what have been some of my experience as a solo flutist? Um, oh, aside hmm. from the first time that you went up on the stage, I think you said you were out in uh, D.C. somewhere, and you walked up to the stage, everybody thought you were going to speak. From yeah. that moment to the, prayer, the current moment when you do solos. Um, so I guess your question is, um, what's that feeling? Do you get nervous? Do you feel like, did I practice enough? The piece that you're you know, play or what? The, the best thing that you can do for yourself to alleviate those distracting thoughts is to be prepared. And that's one right. thing that I do not care for is to put myself in a position where I'm not prepared. I've, Right. If I, I almost feel that I need to be overly prepared, mm-hmm. and um, but that's also coming from, I think, my classical training, and I don't want to pin it on any one teacher. That's something that I've dealt with myself. I'm definitely my hardest, harshest critic for sure. Right. And um, for me, I just don't like stepping forward if I'm not stepping um, in, not perfection, but um, I don't know. I just want to be, I want to be true to what I'm, what I'm doing. I, I want to do it skillfully, masterfully, and with respect. And um, maybe too much. A lot of my friends in the jazz world would totally be like, oh, see, just do it, just do it, just do it. You know, well, they, they've told yeah. me that in the past, you know. And I have spent a lot of time with it. And one one individual, Warren Wolf, who's been one of my best friends for a long time, um, who's an amazing vibraphonist. I know I keep saying that about everybody that I mentioned, but I've been really very fortunate to be surrounded by uh, masterful musicians for more than half of my life. Um, just do it. But again, those that are classical musicians or those who spent most of their time playing classical, performing classical, and studying classical in um, college or above, I have found that they are quicker to relate to what I'm saying. That and I, um, but it's it's also an individual thing for sure. There are definitely those who are who feel more comfortable. Um, who feel comfortable regardless of how much time they've spent with it. But I think that that's the best thing that you can do for yourself um, when getting on stage to combat any type of, of fright. It's not there once you've been doing it, once you've uh, prepared yourself for a given amount, a good, a good amount of time. Excellent. You're absolutely right. Listen, you can't emphasize that, you know, enough. Your talent versatility also Delandra, a range from classical singer, composer, recorder, educator, and author. And all of that begs the question, what is your secret in managing all that you do and do it so successfully? Thank you. You know, um, one of my professors from Peabody, Elizabeth Schaff, she was the archivist in the library at Peabody, and she taught She's a Caucasian woman, and I, I ran into her a few months ago. I believe, not to give her age, but I believe she's in her late 80s. And mm-hmm. she said to me one day after class, I want to interview you. And that was, wow. I mean, she's she's interviewed uh, so many people, you know, um, Thelonious Monk. I mean, she has really, wow, she, yeah. she has interviewed so many people in the world of jazz and classical that I, I was totally honored by that. And I, um, I obliged and we had it. And she told me, you know, you were born with the gifts of direction. And I don't think I've ever had a bigger compliment. It, it felt really good to feel, to know that someone saw my efforts. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not always about some body seeing how hard you work but when people do see it and you don't even realize how hard you're working and someone acknowledges it it is it yeah. is it's something about it. it's a beautiful thing and i do have to say that my parents two of the most beautiful people that i know they smile easily and they're lighthearted and they they kind of let us do our own thing growing up you know I, i'll never forget i have to share this 
my mom was working at night. My dad worked long hours, and so she would take us to her parents' house at the end of the evening, right before going to work. And my baby sister was wearing this outfit, and I thought it was awful. It was awful. My my sister was maybe two, and I was like seven. My, my mom let her dress herself. And I said, you're going to let her go out like that? And she said, do you like what you have on? And, the, of course, the baby said, yes. And she said, then she's fine. I said, she looks like a chicken, you know. And it was just, this outfit was just hideous to me. I, I can't remember what she had on. But the point was, as I grew up, I respected more and more that my mom and my, my father, they were very supportive in our, our the way we expressed ourselves. And they right. encouraged us to hone it. And, you know, I, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the family I was born into and the support that I had, you know, with, un, that was totally unconditional. And I hit some pretty hard times a, a few years back in Baltimore. I never thought to go home. And for some reason, I, and I was very involved in my church at the time, and I told, uh, I was seeking counsel with so, so many people at the church. And then one day, ding, 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 I got this notion to call my, my dad. I don't know why I hadn't done it sooner. And he said, stop. And I was like, wow, what an idea. Stop what you're doing. Stop working Stop working against yourself and do right. such and such. When I was an undergrad, I was an engineering major in pre-med. I don't know why. It was. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, I was so stressed out because I was paying these tutors. I was working five jobs to pay these tutors to um, help me with my engineering courses. And I told my dad, I was washing my car, and he came home early. And he said, uh, you know, what's bothering you? I said, I'm still getting C's and D's and, and C programming and inorganic chemistry. And he said, um, I think you need to get that flute out. And, wow, what a revelation that was. Like, yeah, mm. what am I doing? You know, it was just it, the little things, you know. So Yeah. <sighs> I, I get excited when Great. I talk about this. So I lose. <laughs> and I'm, you should. Like, and you should because uh, – Speaking of accolades, when uh, Sandy told me about doing, and I said, well, go ahead and get the book. I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but like I said, told you on the telephone or on text, we're going to have you in another two weeks, going to have you back. All we're going to do is talk about the book. But right really? now, we're going to talk about this. Yes, ma'am. I put all the other people I was going to put on the show on the back burner. Because oh, when goodness. I went and read your, your 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 Twitter and your Wikipedia, I went like, wow, Sandy, we definitely have to get her. And that's why I kept asking you. <laughs> so because Thank I you. know this, the hair on my arm stood up when I saw all that you had done with your passion. Again, constantly playing in concerts, at events, and on recordings with the giants in this field. What valuable lessons have been learned? You know, just being in such illustrious company as Ty Trebet, Judith Christie McAllister, Hubert Laws, and Bill Harbour. Um, that I still have a lot more to learn. There you go. I'm I still, I, I'm just scratching the surface, and I, it's my prayer that I, um, that I begin to sound, that I, that I, there's a guy, he passed away a couple of years ago. I just found out maybe two months ago, and I, I read a lot of his books. His name is Miles Monroe, and he's a pastor in the Bahamas. And his favorite, or one of his favorite mantras was, die empty. And that's oh, where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I really want to, I have a lot of gifts, and I'm thankful for that. Mm -hmm. And I have, although I'm somewhat shy, <laughs> I have a strong desire to get out there and make sure I materialize all of them. And that, first and foremost, that is in building my vocabulary as a musician, forever reaching, um, reaching and striving to express myself um, to the utmost on my instrument. And um, I'm going to keep striving for that forever because this, the music... The music and the 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 gift that I have as a musician, it it commands it. It demands it. Absolutely. I took the time to listen to a couple of your, and I might say, well, audience applauded solos and concert recordings. Your classical piece. How do you pronounce that? W i d o r. I'm uh, Vidor. 
Yeah, okay. Vidor. Sweet movement, uh-huh. sweet movement three and sweet movement four. And I was just flabbergasted. <laughs> I also listened to a snippet of the beautiful rendition of the Lord's Prayer. So I don't know if anyone has ever went online and even looked at it. They probably will now, the Landria Mills. That's all they had to plug in. That's all I plugged in. So tell us, Delandria, where can someone get your recordings for their classical music library? Oh, thank you. Uh, all of my CDs can um, be purchased on my website at delandriamills.com. But um, some of my some of my music can be found on CD Baby and iTunes. But yes, my team and I are definitely working on making sure that it's um, more readily available to to everyone. But for sure, on my website. Great. Now, what I want you to do is you fill in. I left out a lot of stuff when I did your introduction in your bio. <laughs> so let's fill in all those magnificent accomplishments that I missed in your introduction, your debut CD, and other recordings where you will feed. Delandra, I just want to say thank you so much. We're going to have you back in about two weeks, and we're going to talk about Demi's Blue. Ladies and gentlemen, awesome. our guest today, Delandria Mills, classical flautist, composer, recorder, and we're going to have her back in two weeks. This has been an absolutely marvelous conversation. And bless you, and have the great rest of your day, Delandra. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, sweetheart. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. host of Wish Upon a Star, we want to say thanks so much for listening to our broadcast, and we're broadcasting on www.bbsradio.com station 2. You can listen to previous broadcasts in the archive link. We welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Again, we welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andel, your host, and Denise Banks, our coordinator, saying, keep reaching for the stars.